Good morning, church. We know people are slowly making their way in and may not even be in here right now, but one of our practices as a community, or one of the things we try to do is to celebrate with those who celebrate, mourn with those who mourn. Both of those things can be difficult in difficult seasons. But one of the things that we do to celebrate with those who celebrate is to do baby dedications. And a part of that is to recognize the gift that children are, um, but also to recognize the help of community and of God that families need. And so a portion of this as we do it is a chance just to um, to recognize that all that that human life is God's, the sustainer of it, but also we need each other. So we got a family who is looking to dedicate their daughter Noah this morning, and so I want to invite McKenna and James Reed, and so they're going to dedicate their daughter Noah, and uh, their whole family may be coming. Uh, there are other children maybe coming with them as a part of this process. So what we've asked them to do is to write a letter to Noah expressing their hopes um, for her. And so they're going to read this letter, and one of them's going to read it, and then we're going to pray for them. Would you like the microphone on a stand, or are you fine holding it? Good morning. So we're the Reeds. This is Noah, the baby, <laughs> and Olivia, Jude, and Harper. So I knew that we were going to have to write this letter. <laughs> So I basically started writing some things down like as soon as she was born and it's sort of a stream of consciousness writing over the last year. So here it is. Noah, you feel like a promise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A promise that I can do anything because God will, in fact, give me the strength. Even when I insist, he won't. You feel like a reminder to look to Jesus again and again. You feel like the reality of God's promise to give us immeasurably more than we could have asked for or imagined. You feel like a reminder to let go of the need for my plans to go accordingly because whether they do, God's designs are a lot better than mine. You feel like a whisper, and I hear God saying, dream bigger. One certainty about our family is that we are well acquainted with challenge. Even more now, it is certain we will always be brimming with love, strength, and the understanding that we can do anything together. You will see that we often fall short when trying to look like Jesus. You will also see that we are a family that does not give up. The shifting of growing a family is always hard, but you arrived with such sweetness and you brought such immense joy after a difficult waiting and at a time when our family was hurting. In that way, you feel like healing. It will probably never be a secret that you surprised us all. The truth is, all of our babies were surprises to us. 
There are moments of difficulty trying to understand what life would look like after you came. All the while, I could not wait to hold you. Feelings of having to do it again were rapidly overcome by feelings of getting to do it again. I ended up realizing that even though I did not plan for you, God did. But I chose you, and I have been in love with you at all moments. You came in God's perfect timing. For some reason, I was expecting you in October and then November, certainly no earlier, maybe mid-December. My bag was packed for months, and I took it everywhere I went. Everywhere. You were born December 27th. Finally, I could tell during a moment while I was setting the table for Christmas dinner that you would indeed be arriving soon. I tucked everyone into their beds that night, giving extra hugs and kisses because I was sure I'd be headed to the birth house sometime in the night. I drank my raspberry tea. I spent an hour or so in meditation, breathing and preparing my mind for the work ahead. It was another two days. The waiting was incredibly difficult. I longed intensely to hold you in my arms, but the timing was perfect. The hustle was over. All my tasks were completed. Everyone was breathing now. Santa had even left your presence under our tree. There was peace, and we were ready for you. You labored brilliantly, and you came into the world with vibrance. I pulled you to me without hesitation, and I didn't want to let you go, even to save my own life. But that is a different story. It's been quite a journey over the last two years. We couldn't be more delighted that you are ours. It's only a little more. Half a page more. God put your name in my heart. I can't explain it any other way. I just knew what your name was supposed to be for months before you were born, though I didn't think we would end up giving it to you. Finally, I decided to look up the meaning, and I knew beyond a doubt what we would call you. Noah, meaning peace. Ellis, meaning kind and benevolent. Give me peace was the one prayer I repeated silently in the first months after I found out you were coming. It wasn't until after you were born, your dad pointed out that the first two letters of your name spelled Noel, and here you were, our surprising Christmas baby. We were not clever enough to plan all of this, but God was. I know he has a special purpose for you. Overwhelmed with joy in the midst of uncertainty, this is actually the whole of life I have learned. I really have had the best time getting to know you so far. You are a part of a, an amazing collection of children I have been blessed with. Now that you are one year old, you are always on the move. A lot of times when you leave my lap, I say, Noah, what you gonna do? Then I say, who are you, who are you? And the rest of the family loudly sings, who's this kid, what's she gonna do? <laughs> Personally, I cannot wait to find out. Love you always, Mama. Awesome. So I wanna invite you guys to step onto the floor with Noah and
and your family and to kind of just, you know, and then I know you've got family here and there's friends here and community here. And so if you're here, you, if you know McKenna and James and JR, you come for this, come on up here and surround them. If you just like being near these sorts of things, come up here and surround them. If you want to be friends with them, come on up and surround them. <laughs> we just want to pray. As a church, I just want to invite you to, let's stand. It's always fun to hear the hearts of the people and also to hear the meanings in these names that has been birthed in them and for us to say, who is this and what will she be? That was the same thing that they kind of said around John the Baptist and around Jesus, but I think it's around every child. Who is this and what will they be? And so, God, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for Noah. We praise you that you danced at her birth. And we join you in dancing and celebrating her. God, we thank you for the gift that you've given this family, that you've given these sisters and this brother and this mom and dad and these grandparents and these aunts and uncles, and the gift that you've given us as a community to allow to get to know her, to care about her, to shape her, whether that happens in the ministries through here and the friendships with this family. You are the God of peace and kindness, and you have shaped us in your likeness, and so may Noah grow into that name, experiencing the joy of being a peacemaker and one who moves with kindness. Oh, does the world need it. And so, Father, would you extend your care and grace upon this family, knowing that you pour out your kindness and peace on them as they raise her, on all of them. Thank you for your care for us, God, and the blessing of this family. Agreed, church? Amen. Amen. How awesome. Congratulations. Thanks for letting us celebrate with you guys. Thank you. <clears throat> If you didn't know, McKenna um, makes amazing cakes. I only wonder what kind of cakes she's prepared for this. Or cupcakes. <laughs> Is Jude's birthday? Jude, happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, we have a couple songs. If you guys want to stand up, or you can stay seated if you feel more comfortable that way. And uh, here, here we go. Joy come. 
strong and the water's deep I'm not alone in the empty seas Your love never fails The chasm is far too wide I thought I'd reach the other side Your love never fails Great are you, Lord. 
be seated. Hi, I'm Dan Buttry, one of the elders here, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm old school. Uh, some of you may have phones that have something like a, uh, a little app that says something, a calendar or something like that. I have to tell you, I have never, ever opened that app. Uh, I'm old school. I have one of those books that kind of opens up and you have to write everything in by hand, you know, and, and uh, but there's another calendar in my life that I haven't seen. And that's the divine appointment book. And uh, this week I had a divine appointment that I didn't know was going to happen. Uh, I came here uh, to do the, the healing hands uh, for our guests uh, in the warming center. And, uh, you know, we had it all set up and all the lotions and then we'd pray for people and so on. And there were some special moments that happened. But uh, nothing was going on at this particular time and I ended up help and bring in some of the, the cereal and, uh, you know, sweets and drinks and all that kind of stuff. And, and as I was standing there talking, this amazing conversation happened uh, with one of our guests. And, and I'm not going to go into that because that's between, between him and me. But um, it was definitely a divine appointment, just something amazing. And, you know, God has that kind of special divine appointment book for each of us. And uh, so I want to Take time, if any of you have had a divine appointment or what we call sometimes a God sighting that you'd like to share with us this morning, um, raise your hand and we'll go. 
Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so throughout my career, I've had the um, honor and privilege and opportunity to work at the Department of Defense. And I think that uh, this, these past couple of weeks, we saw an escalation um, in the war in the Middle East, in in, including um, the death of some service members. And so I just wanted to bring that to all of your attention. Um, please pray for all of them. Um, everything going on in the Middle East, um, that we can end the suffering there. Um, not to mention there's also a war in Ukraine where many people are dying and suffering as well. So just pray for the AIDS packages that are in Congress right now um, and pray for a path forward uh, for peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for peace. Amen. So. You have to share. Like you, Dan, I also had a divine appointment this week. Uh, and it also involved our warming center. Um, I shared a overnight with uh, a partner, a young man from Kensington. And this young man was really on the beginning of his faith walk. He'd been a believer for a long time, but I think many of us experienced this checklist-like type faith over our time. And he had just started reading the Bible. And... <laughs> You know, you don't really, those overnights can be kind of rough, um, but we spent two and a half hours in conversation that was blessed, that was holy, that was fulfilling, um, for me as much for him. And so I want to say, Bo, Dan, the leaders of this church, all those people who organized this, uh, and it's a lot of work, thank you. And I'm sure there were plenty of other divine appointments through this process. Yes, yes. amen, amen, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. My name is Greg, and me and my wife celebrated 10 years of marriage on Thursday. And yeah, there was a lot of points in our marriage where we did not think we were gonna make it. Um, yeah. And, but God is faithful and he has a good plan. And so just us making it to 10 years and the growth and recovery that we've had through, um, yeah, through just brokenness and hardship. Um, yeah, but he's been with us the whole way. So, right. amen. Right. So true, so true. Amen, congratulations. Anybody else? God's signing. Oh, Sharon. We didn't yeah. plan this. Hi, I'm Sharon. Um, I have a friend who volunteers with me in environmental justice work, and I've been really concerned about her. Uh, her name is Jennifer. I would ask for prayer for her, but I was just praying this morning that God would give me some ideas about how I could help her very practically. And um, a sister came up to me this morning. We just started talking, and she gave me some really good ideas about how to help people get on a disability. So um, I'm just really thankful for my sister who spoke to me this morning. Thank you. Amen. Yes, we were praying about, <laughs> about what was going on. See, God's, God's got so many appointments for us and ways that we can connect and do the will of the Father. Hi, I'm Shelly. I didn't get to help out with the, um, the warming center this year because I went to uh, Vegas on an outreach and it was for soap. 
which stands for Save Our Adolescents from Prostitution. And every year we go before the Super Bowl to where the Super Bowl is going to be, and we hand out soaps with the trafficking hotline on them. And I can't breathe, sorry. And um, pictures of the young missing in the area. And one of the churches helped us with the outreach. And when the people came, we didn't realize, we only thought we had 150 volunteers. There must have been over 200 people that came to that church to help us in Vegas with this outreach, where it's actually legal. And um, we went out to the hotels and had pictures of the missing women. And three of the women were recognized. So I'm just asked that you all pray that we find these young girls. They were all 18 and under, these women on these posters. And I saw some things in Vegas of young girls that looked about as old as my niece, Olivia, who's going to be, she's going to kill me for telling, who's going to be 15 soon. So they were, they start out young, like the average age is 12. So just pray for these young girls out there and pray for this ministry for me. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for all the sharing. Let's pray for me. what the Lord has brought up. Lord, we lift up uh, this ministry to those who've been trafficked, and we pray for your overwhelming uh, spirit to be upon for the sake of redemption Chilling. and release. We pray, too, that you'd bless uh, those that are have been our guests here at the Warming Center, and thank you for the time we've had together and some of the special conversations and sharing that has gone on. We pray you'll bless them as they uh, go to the next church and bless all the volunteers that'll be taking our place and uh, uh, running the race for the next week. Uh, God, we we do pray for the conflicts in the world, in the Middle East and, uh, and in Ukraine and so many places where where even where your your people are and and uh we were just talking about singing about crisis and the difficult times and when the oceans rage and there's a lot of oceans raging and with war and may your spirit be upon your people and and uh and we thank you for guiding us through our lives whether, whether it's helping somebody or, or our journey t together thank you for the sharing of a testimony of 10 years of marriage and how you've been faithful for their their struggles as well as their joys. So God, we lift up all these concerns and, and others that are unspoken, that you would be glorified as we move into the week ahead. Jesus, we bless you. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is still Greg. Uh, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Genesis. We're glad you're here. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways to stay connected here. So there's some QR codes in your pew. We also have physical green cards. Uh, so if you uh, can fill that out, you can place it in the wooden box uh, up here, I believe. Um, and this is also where you can place any offerings that you've brought with you. Uh, Genesis is fully funded by your faithful and generous giving and cannot function without your financial support. When you give to Genesis, you're funding a lot of things. Uh, you're funding the Warming Center that keeps our friends experiencing homelessness safe. You're funding Community Cafe, providing food to those in need. And you're giving, make sure our staff gets paid and that the heat stays on. So thank you for giving. Uh, 
Uh, if you call Genesis your church home or even just a safe place to be on Sunday morning, we ask you to consider giving towards our vision to create spaces of belonging, help individuals identify and develop their calling, and taking action for the good of others. So thanks again if you give. Uh, so next week we are going to eat together after the service, and that's going to be a traditional potluck style. So bring a disc to share. And then after that, I've never done this with a church before, but there's an open skate. Uh, so it's Genesis Skate at Skate World of Troy meetup. Uh, so invite your friends, dust off your skating ability, and come join us during the open skate time at Skate World of Troy from 1 to 3 next weekend, next Sunday. Um, we would like to see kids and adults out on the dance floor, on the skate floor with their best moves, giving it their best shot. Uh, yeah. So that's next week. And then just, a, you've heard a lot about Warming Center already. Uh, today is our last day, and I, I know that we did a good job because the guests are sad to be leaving us, uh, but I enjoyed it. Like I was here multiple nights and did a lot of puzzles and made some friends and uh, maybe the puzzles are still out, I don't know. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a joy having them. So um, thank you for all those who volunteered. Uh, we had numerous volunteers and also thank you for Allison and Julia for their tireless uh, effort. Thank you. There are a couple more needs. So after service today, we're gonna to be tearing down from the warming center. So if you're av available, you can stay after. And then there was also some unexpected financial um, needs. And so the Venmo is still open. So if you could give, that would be great there too. Um, so one thing you might not know about our church is Monday through Friday, the Olive Branch Daycare loves and supports children and families. The work is very hard. And in this season, it is very difficult for the staff of the Olive Branch. Kids, lots of sicknesses and hardship in life, plus they are in need of more staff. So we're gonna pray, and you can join us in prayer, but we're looking for a lead, uh, we're looking for a lead teacher in two afternoon staff positions to fill um, in that daycare. Um, and we'll also pray for the health and weariness of the Olive Branch team in this season. Um, if you know people who might be interested in working there, um, please help us uh, make those connections and network. So uh, before I pray, I just want to read the name of the staff, um, and so we can lift them up in prayer. There's Cheryl, Vicky, Moretta, Candia, Gina, Trissa, Diane, Sean, Bridget, Asalia, Chrissy, Molly, Faith, Helen, Tamika, Niana, Sylvia, Maria, and Jessica. So if any of those names stick out to you, let's uh, just have them on our hearts right now. God, we just come before you and we lift them up. Um, just weariness. Um, yeah, they're weary uh, with all the struggles, personal and uh, with sickness at the daycare. And so we just pray that you would encourage them right now, that you would be near their hearts. That you, Some of them aren't in our community. Many of them aren't in our community, but uh, we still long for you to to come down and fill their hearts in their lives, uh, that they can continue that good work. Um, yeah, we trust you with, with the olive branch. Thank you, God, for, for your love and provision there. Uh, we ask that you fill, um, help fill these positions, uh, raise up laborers. Uh, yeah, we love you, God. Amen. Uh, that was my last announcement. So 
Thank you, everyone. And uh, I'm going to release you for connection. So say hi to someone nearby you or say hi to someone you've never met before. Thanks.
hands? Look at your communion. I think there's enough. Oh, thank you. Can we pass the tray? I'm going to grab one too. Could you pass the baskets, please? Pass them out. Oh, good morning. Welcome again. We have a little note sheet that we've been giving out over the last few weeks. Um, these have that we're we've been talking about like how to make amends, how to make an apology. Another term for it would be how to do repentance. And so there's five steps to that with some notes on it. We think it's a tool that would just be helpful to post somewhere up just as a reminder. Um, about how to engage in situations differently, how to address when harm has happened. And so um, I got a little note sheet. With, if anyone would like one, well, I'll pass these through as well, since this, is, this could be the potentially the last Sunday we kind of go through this again. But we're going to pass those through. If you'd like one to take notes, I will not be watching if you don't take it or if you're not taking notes. No judgment. We sat in here for those, the stories of the God sightings, and we hear different stories, and, and, and Shelly brought that story of saying, hey, we're, we're in Vegas, and, and, and knowing that young women are being exploited by those with much more power and influence and being abused, and we're going there in order to shed light upon that. We had John who said, we're praying for peace in our world. And you look at the news from missile attacks and launchings and, and death and destruction, and we're like, oh my word. And that's just a couple of things that were mentioned, not only what's going on in your world. So those things are heavy. And so just to keep in mind with heavy things, we might as well talk about something as heavy today. Institutional harm. And when I was thinking about today, I was like, I made a terrible mistake. We should never be talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is hard. And I want to live in a sitcom world where in 30 minutes you can solve anything. Right? I want to live in a world where in 30 minutes all the right answers are given and we all feel better. And we pat ourselves on the back and we go on our way. So that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen here. That's not going to happen in a sitcom. And nor is the goal to just point out how broken our world is and how awful people are in institutions. But what is it? What, what, what is our hope? And the underlying hope of it all is care for others. That's what comes into care for other people. Even in those prayers, it was like the care for these girls. And Shelly's like, they look like my niece. And, and the care for all of the people in the world who are experiencing all kinds of trauma. It's care for others that drives us into these conversations. Another word could be love for others that drives us to them for their good. Not so that we'd be right. Not so we can shout and yell at people and tell them they're bad 
but out of care for others. What a beautiful idea. That's why you're here, and that's why we're here. And so with that in mind, even though this might be a hard conversation with few answers, it's a good conversation, one that affects us all in multiple ways. Last week, we brought up the story of this guy who had harmed a lot of people, stolen and cheated from a lot of people, and he has this encounter with Jesus, um, and all of a sudden, he just begins to make things right. And that's all we see in the story. And one of the phrases from it, I just want to remind us again, it's the story of Nicodemus. And the only thing that we know that Jesus said to him was, I need to be in a guest, and I need to be a guest in your house. I need to be with you. That was the invitation. I need to be a guest in your house. And that one thing shifted. That seems the only thing that I could put my finger on that shifted everything. And so today, as we engage this conversation, the Lord knows what we need before we even ask. But I know that all of us are sitting in a spot where we all are sitting like Zacchaeus, where Jesus comes to us to say, I need to be a guest in your house. It's that invitation, it's that welcome that says, let me be with you. Now, if you're like me, my response is, Jesus, my house is a mess. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, both. And Jesus usually says, I know what you need before you even ask it. I know the mess. And Jesus is not afraid of messes. Jesus enters all the messes with his kindness and compassion. And so may we hear today, and whatever your context is today, for what we talk about today, and there's always these contexts that every one of us are in, you are a person who has experienced harm. And so maybe you're coming in feeling the weight of being a victim of great harm. Jesus says to you, I need to be a guest in your house. Care for you. Maybe you're the one who's becoming really aware you caused harm. It's a very hard place to be. It's very painful. And most people in society and the world do not want to be there. We'll do everything in our power to get out of that spot and for things to turn to normal as quickly as possible with zero to no change ever happening because we don't want to be in that spot. But all of us cause harm in some time or another to others. Or the third context, we are all bystanders of harm. Meaning in our everyday worlds, and our every encounters, you're seeing it. You're seeing it in your workplaces, you're seeing it in your neighborhoods, you're seeing it in a line, you're seeing it in your church, you're seeing it in the school, you're seeing it in your gym, right? We see it. We all have this as our context. And so we want to grow as our people who can make amends. Because love drives us in this way. In 2001, University of Michigan Medical System, or the medical hospital, and that they changed their focus on when mistakes happened within their hospital system. And their approach changed to say that we're going to have a prompt investigation of errors. And we're going to share those findings with the victims immediately. 
potentially even while they're in the hospital. We're going to engage. We're going to share our findings with the victims. We're going to give an apology, and then we're going to have compensation for their injuries. And often their goal is for this to happen at a bedside. This is way different than the majority of other groups in this world and institutions where they know they cause harm. Whether that harm is intentional, unintentional, mistake, whatever it is. This was a groundbreaking kind of approach within medical systems. I don't know if any of you guys have been to Ann Arbor and their medical system and you've experienced this firsthand. I don't know if um, this still happens. I know that this is their plan still currently, but maybe you've had a chance to experience this as a part of the University of Michigan medical system. As a result, the malpractice lawsuits have dropped, like 54%. But because majority of us, when we think about institutional harm, that seems to be what motivates us. And they said, oh no, that's not the motivation. That's the wrong motivation because that, that, that's, um, that's victim-centric. Oh, we're the ones causing harm. How do we not be sued more? I said, no. What drives us is patient safety. That's what's driving us. The safety of our patients. That's what Richard Boothman, who launched this new approach, said. So in the end, it's about care for others. And this is in a medical system. They learn immediately from their mistakes. And they try to make policies and procedures that help these types of mistakes from occurring again. So when you have this kind of a response to harm, it benefits everyone. And so to cover up institutional harm actually hurts the flourishing of everyone. So why are we so resistant to this kind of work? It is painful and hard. So one of our values as a church is a value of mending the world. And this value goes like this. God's mending the broken world through Jesus. And we join in God's work to bring justice, reconciliation, mercy, and peace upon the earth until Jesus returns in ultimate triumph over brokenness. As we've been talking about this idea of repentance, we know that this mending the world comes potentially from us being ones who will mend relationships that we have caused harm to. Or, as we're engaging in, in, in this way, it's potentially with institutions. So as we're talking about this concept of mending the world, again, I bring it back to this context, we all harm people. Uh, a lot of this introduction comes uh, from the book on repentance and repair from Danya Ruttenberg. She's uh, a modern rabbi who has written this work. She's pulled it from a 12th century Jewish philosopher who had these concepts, and she's, she said that all well, these, these concepts of repentance can be pulled down to these five steps. Jesus himself, a, moder, a rabbi within the first century, continued to encourage us all, says, oh, the kingdom begins and starts and moves in repentance. We'll become to acknowledge these realities. But these truths come in. We all harm people. We've all been harmed by people, and we're all bystanders of harm. And most of us have never been taught how to do the work of repairing harm or have ever seen it modeled. And today we want to talk about when this happens in institutions, in places of work, schools, universities, houses of worship, community organizations, sports leagues, social networks, 
Because institutions can and do perpetuate harm. Many institutions struggle to acknowledge the harm they've caused. Most do not want to admit any kind of harm. Just even recently, even this last week, or even at the beginning of this year, a number of exhibits and museums, especially as they were connected to indigenous people, closed down these exhibits because the majority of these artifacts that they had from indigenous people were stolen. They had no consent to have these items. And they've known this for 30 years. <laughs> In 1990, they kind of created the framework to pass the laws that says, oh, hey, you know these museums that we have that have all these artifacts of these indigenous people? Uh, how did you get those artifacts? Well, we took it. We had them in universities or schools or people who had grabbed them, but they had no consent to the original people. So they passed laws of saying, you need to return these things. Some of them are actually human remains that they used for research that either came from indigenous people or poor people. And, and so finally, a number of those exhibits have been shut down so they can actually have this idea of consent, of showing like, oh, wow, we have, we, we're telling a different story than one through these artifacts and actually what's happened. I mean, I was a big fan. I'm from Missouri. And it's in the St. Louis Arch, there's a whole exhibit on the bottom of indigenous people. It's my favorite place to go see and to see these artifacts. But the story they tell in there is actually not the story of the West and indigenous people. We tell a different story. Institutions have caused harm. And, and in our context, we have people trying to figure out how do we confess, how do we address, and how do we make amends for that harm caused? And that could be from the Native American Graves Protection in the Repatriation Act, which is about requiring museums and federal agencies to identify and send back stolen, so stolen sacred items to their respective cultural groups. This has institutions like state universities who knew that their institutions were built on the back of slavery. And they have a history of slavery and the way their institutions um, benefited and profited from slavery. Who even had, who even perpetuated theologies um, that enforced slavery. And so there's institutions and seminaries and that who are trying to come to make amends of like, how do we actually confess this? And what is the appropriate way to make amends even when this history is some time ago? We have state universities trying to deal with sexual abuse in Michigan State. And Larry Nassar, the, the gymnast coach who had, there was a ton of issues of cover-ups there and in multiple other places. So institutions are a fraud. Majority of them, at some time or another in their history, have some things that we'd rather gloss over, not to tell the truth to, or hide, or push away, and not address. But as we address, we have five steps of repentance that we've been trying to encourage as we step into this. And the first step, if you had the sheet in front of you, is to own the, pace you, own the pain you've caused. And that's just saying, confess. Tell the truth of what has happened. Don't just try to step forward to steps in order to do so, but actually tell the truth. Name it. Without excuse, call it out. That's the first step. And when it comes to institutional harm, the majority of institutions would 
would, would be taking miles of steps ahead by just doing this part, because the majority of them don't do this at all. They don't name or confess the harm caused. Now, sometimes with institutions, it's the same thing with nations. And within history, we can, we can, we can look at ones who have, who have at least made an attempt to do so, to tell the truth to the harm caused, to give an account to it. So you name the truth, you own it one. Step two, you take steps to change, you do the work. You begin to look to say, where's all this coming from? How do we address this? How do we actually step in to do the work within these places, within our systems, within our institutions? And the third, you make amends. This is the external repair. What needs to change? How do we make it right? How do we pay them back? How do we address this? How do we step forward? Fourth, you apologize. And five, you don't do it again. You move in a different direction. The rally with institutional harm is like, like the University of Michigan in their medical system. Most institutions are not addressing the harm, and so they're not correcting it. And so there continues to be these patterns of mistakes that continue to happen again and again and again and again. And the same with churches. Until they actually are able to have this sort of courageous look into what's truly happening. A few months ago, when we were talking about being an all-inclusive community, we, we shared about the early church at Acts 6 in this way that we see the early ch church functioning when they saw discrimination, when they saw harm within the institution. It's the story in Acts 6, and I thought it's just so fitting. We have to come to it again. We just have to be reminded again of this, this beauty of people being unafraid to have this institutional courage to address the wrongs that are happening and then to make some steps in order to change them. So in Acts 6, this is early in the life of the church. We, we, they, they're, they're forming these, these groups. They're coming together. And Acts 6 starts it this way. In those days, there were a number of disciples were increasing. And the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and Prochorsus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perminus, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and in a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so what happened here is there was a complaint. A complaint was being raised for the sake of discrimination. That within this institutional structure and program, the disciples demonstrated their maturity through their response. Instead of being defensive and denying the problem or trying to cover it up, they conducted a sober assessment. 
And so because this is recorded, this is not a recording that says, oh, this is, we're going we're gonna to show everything they did to address these issues. This is a story that's just left for us in the history of the early church. And it's left for us to know that even they wrote it down, they're saying, oh, this was a problem. And writing it down in itself is a confession. They confess it to the reality that this is a problem. They immediately made steps to change. And to make amends. And they chose different people instead of trying to cover up the problem. And the people they chose would be ones that would be able to address the systemic nature of this issue. And they empowered them to step forward into the solution. So naming privilege, as in this case, of naming harm, is an act of confession. It requires spiritual maturity. And for a lot of times when these acts happen and when it gets named and when somebody brings it up, it feels so threatening because it reveals so much of our complicity within broken systems. It reveals big, bigger systemic issues that are going on, issues with power, issues of sexism and racism within the structures and the laws. And all this defaces the image of God and others. And so we engage this because we care about others. It takes all kinds of courage, institutional courage for institutions to commit to seek the truth and to engage in moral action despite the unpleasantness, the risk, the short-term cost. Organizations need to pledge to protect and to care for those who depend upon the institution. And the truth is that we cannot change the past, but yet we can change the future. But we can only do that if we're honest about what's been, who has been harmed, and who caused the harm. This is truth-telling. And it's needed in many contexts. We as a people, as a country, and as institutions, have the capacity to make change. When we understand the history and the need to work for justice. So what's in this for us? So my big encouragement, I sit here for us, one, this work is not to point out that people are bad or institutions are bad. The work is anchored in care for others. The work is anchored in the love of brother and sister, the love of neighbor. When Jesus said, if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, you want to know what you, how everything is anchored on in this world. If you want to know what pursuing Jesus looks like, how about we just sum it up in this way? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we know that institutions are causing issues in that kind of act of love of neighbor, and it becomes, we become aware of that, whether within the institution that we're a part of or that we're a bystander next to, we have the opportunity to address it, to speak to it. 
So if you find yourself, if you happen to be a board member, um, a stakeholder, a power holder with an institution, you already have the responsibility of being able to see the issues that are going on and the harms that are included within your organization. And then being a voice to encourage them to actually confess it, to name it, and to make amends to the harm we're doing, and then to figure out systems and new policies so you don't do that harm. But just for the few minutes left, I want to encourage us and just say this. Let's say we're all bystanders. Meaning that we don't have seats of power at the table of board members of that, but we're bystanders, and we've seen harm. What do we do? That 12th century rabbi, his name was Mononides, he said that when you're a victim of harm, that you can absolutely rebuke those who have harmed you, but especially if it will help you in letting go of the resentment. But he says, however, when someone witnesses harm as a bystander, their role is different. This third party's work is about helping to return the harm doer to good. Pushing them to grow in ways that might not be comfortable. And he's saying if, you're, if you've witnessed this, you've heard about it, your role is not to codify, it's not to be like, oh, poor you. It's to call them out, to hold them accountable for those actions, to help them to return to the good. And to help them return to the good is for them to actually acknowledge the harm and to lead them to the steps of repentance. To give them an opportunity to be accountable for what they have done because they have caused harm that has caused hurt to others. To raise your voice. To lift it up. To be an ally. To say, oh, I've seen this. I've heard this. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to let my voice be heard. I'm going to stand up as a bystander and say, we can do, you got to do better than this. You need to make this right. And so with these institutions, the encouragement as bystanders is to raise our voice and to come along those individuals within those institutions, if that's their board, their employees, their CEOs, if that's on their Facebook pages or Instagram pages, so they can know that harm has been caused and we're inviting them to do something different. For the sake of care, out of sake for love for those who have been harmed, because we know they can do different. And they can learn from these mistakes. They can grow from these mistakes. And they can fix these so others are not harmed in the same way. This is the invitation. The majority of institutions, when things go wrong and harm has been caused, typically are asking questions like, hey, what are the things that, that we as the harm doer must do in order to return to normal? How do we just get back to normal? How to make this go away so we can get back to the task of even turning revenue or uh, doing the central aim of what we said we're trying to do? Instead of asking that, is what do the victims need and are they getting those things? What are those whom have harmed need and are they getting it? 
How do we make it right? This is messy and hard work. And so many people who find themselves of being these bystanders of harm and raise their voice typically get kicked as well. You know that, right? When we see it. (laughs) We see it everywhere. If you raise your voice to institutional harm, those who raise their voices usually get a target on their back. And so many then lack the courage to want to even say anything. Or there's just been so many lies that are perpetuated out there that and all of a sudden it's like, well, what do we know is true anymore? No, there's a reality of things that are true. We can pursue this truth and tell it. There is an accurate account of things that have happened, and we can pursue that account and let it be told. But boy, does it take courage. And so much of that begins with what we said when Jesus said, let me be a guest in your house. Let me be a guest in your house. It's messy. Whether you're the victim, the perpetrator, or the bystander, we need the courage of Jesus to stand up and to call out to those places of power and let them know when they're doing wrong. If you want to read histories of people who are stepping into this kind of work, of nations who are doing this kind of work, or the stories of nations who never do this kind of work, you can find it. If you want to look back at the apartheid movement in South Africa and the work that they did to tell the truth of the kind of systemic racism that happened and the televised confessions that they broadcasted through their country in order for people to tell the truth of what happened to them so they could record it. Because there's so many, mis- so many misinformation and people were saying, oh, no, no, this wasn't harm caused. This isn't bad stuff. Nothing really bad happened. So they televised it and they gave a confession account. Now they, they, they took, they, they made some moves that many people were says this will hinder repentance. So for some of those cases, they say, we'll give you amnesty if you confess your sin. And about 10%, they did forgive those people of the wrongs that did, meaning that the government would not go after them for the arms that they did. But they said, we need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth. And so 7,000 people gave an account of what happened. It was this idea of getting the truth of the brutality and the ugliness of the apartheid. Because most people in the world want to stand back and say, we had no idea. (laughs) Because we don't want to know. And the same thing happened with the Holocaust. And you can look at Germany's attempt and order, again, decades of attempts still attempting to make repentance for the genocide that they did to the Jewish people. Will there, will there ever be enough? Will repentance ever fully be, be had? No. But still there were steps that have been made, missteps that have been made. You can read about those steps and missteps that they have made to give an account and to call people out and then remove people from power even decades after the fact of those who has caused harm. There'll be other generations who then stepped up because the first generation who witnessed the harm that they did were unwilling to make the steps. 
They were unwilling to look at the ugliness of what happened. And the majority of them said, we had no clue. But the reality is they, they actually didn't want to know. And then a little closer to home, <laughs> I mean, the United States has made no attempt, zero attempt, to bring any kind of national repentance or reparations to the enslaved peoples that were enslaved um, for centuries. And then not only enslaved, but had structures of systemic racism, unwilling to do so. And even in the attempts for people to tell that history, we know what's happening, right? For schools to tell that history, we have people fighting against that kind of information and say, that's not actually true. And so now, all of a sudden, there's these voices who just throw on these platforms to say, well, you know, that's not actually true. But the reality is, is that the majority of people actually do not want to know what is true. They actually don't want to know the offenses and the harm, the atrocities that we've done. Because there's this, these ideas that that's worse. We can't move forward in healing until we do it. And we get a say. And the hope is, is that potentially within these institutions and countries that new voices will continue to arise to invite people to do something different. Or to look at those brutal truths and to do something different. I begin to say out of this, this the reason that we address institutional harm is out of care for others. But it's also out of those who have been complicit in that harm, who have benefited from that harm, or those who perpetuated that harm. It's to their benefit and to their healing for them to confess and make amends. The brother of Jesus and James writes this word in James 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So you'll be healed. Now, that is not just saying that the process of healing is just primarily in a confession. But I think that's what we're kind of saying here with the work of repentance. It starts there. When we start there and we actually give an account of what it has happened, becoming aware of that truth, call it out as a sin, be unafraid to look at it, be unafraid to identify it. Be unafraid to continue doing that work that tears down those systems and icons and images and ideas of systemic racism that continue to be in all systems and in all institutions. And to do that hard work for the sake of care and love of others. This voice is arising out of love, not out of one who just says, you're bad and ugly, but it's caused harm, and we can confess and do something different. How interesting that February is Black History Month. Not interesting, but a history to be reminded of what has taken place. I remember when I was reading and studying from this theologian who said, 
the United States has taken no national endeavor to repent or make amends of systemic slavery of enslaved people. It had said things, but it never followed through, which is the practice of most organizations. <laughs> you, you take a few steps, but you don't follow through. Why not? It's hard. It's hard. But we can do hard things. Isn't that so much the pride sometimes of our country? We can do hard things. We can do hard things when it comes to making amends and inviting others to do better, to repent, and to do so. And so we listen to this as people who are a part of institutions and nations. And we hear these good words of saying, it's the love of others that drives us towards this. And may we confess our sins and be healed. So um, on our website, Taylor, thank you. Taylor has been, uh, she's doing our posts and she's doing that Unchango. Say right? Not even. I did try hard. It's not acceptable. Say, Oh, gosh. Enchoco, Enchoco, Taylor Enchoco. So, we, um, so on our website, under, I believe it's under resources. So if you go to our website, which you should, great information and stuff there. Kind of tells us about our community. Um, and it's under resources. We have a new place that says report misconduct. Just a spot. Now, it has some stuff on there. It's like, hey, if, you, if you've witnessed abuse, like child abuse, you're calling the authorities. You know, right? They, they, and so it kind of says some mandatory reporting. You're seeing things that are crimes and things like that. You're, you're calling 911. You're calling the police. You're raising red flags. But if you're seeing harm, mistreatment, misconduct, because you care about the people that are here, because you love people, and because we can learn. We have a whole process to know how to repent, to confess our sin, to address it, and to learn. Not because we're some sort of like perfect example of this. We are not. The blinding, we have gaping blind spots. But we gotta have a spot where you can tell us if you've seen harm or misconduct. And so, we have that on their site, so we want to let you know, use it. And, and, and God willing, we'll be able to set up the appropriate responses um, for that, to be able to respond. Because we all know churches are far, far from being perfect. I continue to meet people who tell me their stories of the kind of harm that's happened within faith communities. That's left scars upon you, disrupted your faith, disrupted your worship, your trust, and have hindered you. And so we know that we've been able to model this kind of learning in that. So maybe help us in that. So as we talk about institutional harm, boy, that's my best swing at that today. It's our best attempt at moving us towards being a people who know how to make amends. This by no means covers it all, does it ever? May God have mercy.
May love abound in us that would move us toward hard things and courage because we love deeply. Boy, love in the eyes looks so different than hatred. So, Father, would you come and pour out your love within us that we be able to respond? Lord, for those who have been victims of great harm in churches, in our country, in the schools, at grocery stores, uh, within institutions, oh, Jesus, have mercy. Could repair happen? Where we have stopped short and we have places of power, may we listen and respond. Oh, Lord Jesus, let the voices be heard. May we raise ours when we see harm that's being committed to others out of care and love for them and care and love for the perpetrator that they can grow and be transformed. There is hope. Jesus, thank you for your invitation to say that you long to be with us and in our homes, in us. You say, it's a must that I am welcoming into your house. And so we say, yes, Lord. We say, yes. Amen. Uh, Did you get your communion cup? Typically on the first Sunday, we share a meal together down in South Hall. But because that's being used today um, still for um, as like places to sleep and a safe place for people, we're just going to take these together. We're reminded of our God who steps into the mess with us and says, let me be a guest in your house. Uh, Does anyone need a cup? We're reminded of the broken body of Jesus and the gift that he gives of his life in order to serve others in sacrificial love. We hear those words that he said that, that you are life and you give us the bread of life. And so we thank you for this gift of your life, of your presence, and your willingness to make your home in us right now as we are and to fuel us. Thank you, God. And so we invite you to welcome Jesus through this act of eating. Let's eat together. And so we open up this juice, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins of victims, the forgiveness of sins of perpetrators, and the forgiveness of sins of bystanders. Carvers. As still as this blood has been shed, we're continuing to invite us to find our life in Jesus in that relationship. Now that he has mended us, invited us to mend. So thank you for your blood that was shed, that invitation to yours. We drink, we welcome you and your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your gifts, for those practices. May they strengthen us as we step out within relationships and institutions And let your love illuminate.
Amen. God bless you guys. If you want to stick around and help tear down a few things for the warming center. I know that there's a team of people who are doing some of that work. And God bless you. We'll be eating together next Sunday following our service.